Good morning. Good morning. Wow, it's been a while, guys. So, uh, right off the bat, my name is Andrew Holsworth, Andrew David Holsworth. I have blue eyes and five foot ten. I've been a pastor here about 15 years. Started off in the youth ministry. I've uh, done everything in between. So college, and I was a lead pastor for a little bit. Um, anyway, I, 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 can I pray? Like, this one's for me. I'll pray for you in a second. But I, 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 Jesus. I love talking to you. I like talking to you more than I like talking about you. And so I invite you to come and speak to your people. For you to rule and reign over this very room over this church, over these families, over the kids in the back. This really is not that fun without you. And so we invite you, the amazing living God, to become very real in these next few minutes. And I thank you for the honor it is to open your word and talk about you. And I thank you for that hush that just came over the room because we've gathered in your name. And your name is the name above every name. And in your name, whew, men and women are saved. And in your name, men and women are healed. And in your name, every knee will bow. And so we bow our hearts this morning, King Jesus. I love you. I thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pray here again in a second. I'm already crying. I woke up, like, trembling. I don't know why. Like, I don't get nervous doing this. Once you do this long enough, you can turn on autopilot. It's real easy. Uh, speaking in front of people, most people are like, I don't want to do that. I actually like doing that. Uh, I've been shaped to do this, and God's kind of been reminding me over the last, I would say, year uh, what we do here. And I know some of you have been along for the journey that is Andrew Holsworth, and I'm not going to talk about me that long, but I do want to just kind of hit this idea that what we're doing right now is, is not just a casual gathering for funsies. That's not what this is. We're not just saying words because that's what we are supposed to do. There's actually something very spiritual and real and forming that's about to take place. In fact, you're about to watch a spiritual gift be exercised. Because if you meet me in private, you will be like, that guy's awkward, a little bit weird. But what you're about to see, I, I, like, this is what God has been showing me. There's a reason I put you on the earth, Andrew, and I'm about to walk in it. I'm going to proclaim to you the word of God. And you will have an opportunity to do something with it or not. And here's what you have to know about ministry. Like six, well, about, about a, a year ago, right heading into August, I was so burnt out. Didn't want to be here. And I took a month off. I took all of August off. All right. I'm about to preach pretty much all of this August. So I've had about a year to be like, all right, God, did you bench me? And I know if you're new here, you're like, wow, he's being real open and on. I don't even know how else to be. Other than to say, we like our pastors strong, confident, a little cocky maybe. And God has removed all those things from me. I feel pretty weak. There's not a lot of cockiness left. I have one wholehearted desire. I want to see the real thing of you. I want to see Jesus. I want to wake up trembling on Sundays because we're going to gather with such a seriousness that we know we're going to meet with God. I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for the real thing 
because I don't want to do anything else. In fact, if, we're, if, we, if you all are here because you're like, give me my nice polished church thing or I'm out, you're probably going to have to leave because I don't know how to do polish anymore. And what I've realized is that when we come and when I, especially when I come up here, I'll talk about me, not talk about you. Like verses in like Revelation chapter three, you don't have to go there yet. It just says like, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is what God says to a church in the book of Revelation. And so here, here, we just, you just came into the house of God. That's what we'll call this. And no matter what image you're putting forward, God sees. So God knows you perfectly. God knows if I'd rather be playing golf. God knows if you'd rather be at the pool. God knows all that. So there's really not any hiding. The only hiding we're doing is from each other. And so as I got ready for this morning, I'm just like, Lord, uh, I just, I want to see you in the, like, the, like, when you read this book, don't, aren't you like, that's how I want to see it. When the believers start praying and the room starts shaking, I'm like, Lord, if that's what you want to do, let's go there. A room full of people that are so full of boldness, they would rather die than renounce their faith in Jesus. That's what I, I want to, I want to do the real thing. And I believe I've seen it here. And then God, I believe God did a lot of the last year in my life and in this church's life. And he's purifying a thing that will return to this wholehearted hunger for who he is. So no, I'm, I'm not where I was a year ago. I believe the Lord has showed me my, my job, the very thing, the reason I'm on this earth is to preach and proclaim the word of the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a joyful thing. I'm not heavy about it at all. And if you're like, well, how did, how did you get there? Well, this, I'm going to say a statement. You can fight me about it later, but um, becoming a pastor messes you up, like honestly. It just messes you up in ways you don't even expect. So when I first got saved in high school, they called me Bible boy because if you were in a 30-mile radius, I was going to tell you about Jesus. And I was going to tell you that the drugs you were doing would not satisfy your soul. And I just was super unafraid. And I was weeping over non-Christians. And I was just like running around telling people, Jesus loves you. Like, just, like I'm weird, all right? And then I became a pastor and it messed me up because then you start doing things because you have to. You do things because they pay you to do things. You do things because they're expected. But the Jesus, oh man, then, then Jesus, I feel like Jesus benched me to remind me of my first love. I love non-Christians. I love, I love sitting with a guy that just wants to drink a beer and try to love his wife. I love that guy. So if that's you, I love you. Some of you Christians, I don't like you sometimes. That was a little too honest. I should, that's not in the notes. Okay. I'll go back to the notes. I should read the notes. But there's these, these moments when you get into ministry, you don't have a choice to get up on Sundays. Like, you're paid to get up on Sundays, and you will talk. But I'm here today to tell you that I'm speaking to you, not because I have to, because it's my delight, and God has showed me and refined me to a point where all I want to do is just do, this is what I want to do. And so this is what I like to do. I just want to preach just, just for a couple seconds. Uh, uh, two verses that just were brought to my mind this week. And then we are going to pray together. And then we will get into the book of Jeremiah. If we're not here till one, miracles. Okay? Cool. I'm just kidding. It won't be one. Uh, the first verse, John chapter 3, 
verse 16. John 3, 16. Can everybody quote it? I mean, if we're at a WWE match, you can. All right? Or a sporting event. But John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well-known verse. Everybody knows it. I just want to preach it because I feel like going back to the basics. I'm going to live forever. If you're in Jesus, you're going to live forever. Because that's the promise of Scripture. And I want to break it down. For God so loved the world, right? The love of God has been made manifest to the earth. Jesus Christ is the sign of God's love for you. So notice it doesn't say, for God so hated the world. For God so wrathed the world. For God so loathed the world. It said, for God so loved them. That he gave his son that whoever believes in him won't die, won't perish, won't just pass away, but will live forever. And so if you're in here, the love of God is for you this morning, and God wants to save you. Wants to save you from whatever thing you're sitting in, that you might live forever with him. That's the best news. We should go to that all the time. If everyone, everybody ever comes to Cobblestone, you know what we should tell them? That. Do you know what John 3, 17 says? <clears throat> We got 316 memorized, right? We got on lock, probably have tattooed somewhere on our bodies. But you know what 317 says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Did you hear me? Now, I've met some Christians on some sidewalks. They sound really condemning. They sound really like, hey, whore. You're going to go to hell unless you give your life to Jesus. I'm like, hmm, you got that from a crop top? Wow. You got her heart from the crop top she's wearing? That's why she's a whore? For God did not send his son. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you want to be saved today, Jesus can save you. Because it was God's plan to pour out his love through the son Jesus. So I don't care if it was infidelity or drunkenness or rage, whatever flavor of sin you brought in, Jesus can save you from it. I've had all those flavors of sin and Jesus saved me from it. Our God's mighty. The love of God has been poured out and I just want to just bless you guys. Like the love of the Lord has been poured out and I want to make that our fascination this morning. That God so loved us that he sent his son to do something we couldn't do. Live righteously and then he died. He's alive now. He rose again, which means Jesus is alive right now, going, do you want the love of God? Do you want to live forever? Do you want to be free from your sin? Do you want to run with me? And all you got to do is go, save me! Not show up at church, not put a freaking collared shirt on. I hate collared shirts, that's why I said freaking on collared shirt. I get it, because Anna told me that when I put my collared shirt on, the fire of God comes down. I was like, oh, cool, I'll do it. So, she just meant when I preach with a collared shirt, I guess I guess I have more authority. I don't know, so I'd rather have a t-shirt. Uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. So John 3, 16 and 17, and then 2 Peter chapter 3, going 9 and 10. These two verses kind of start, start our day together today. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. 
that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you hear what God's word just said? That God doesn't want anybody to die? He doesn't want anyone to go to hell? He doesn't want anybody to be far away from him? He doesn't want anybody? For God so loved the world, right? And so God's being patient with some of us even in this room. Like God's going slow and not returning so you might come to him now and repent of your sin and be free and run with life with God which you were made to be. That's amazing. Not wishing that any should perish. God's desire on the earth is that no one should die separated from him. That's God's desire, which means any person you meet from the day here, right now, to the day you see Jesus face to face, every person, you know what God's desire for them is? To save them. To lavish his love on them. To bring them from death to life and then some. That's God's desire. But the warning is in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So there's this, the love of God has been, like, God so loved the world. And he didn't want to condemn it, he wanted to save it. And God is being patient so that all men might, and he wants everybody to be saved. But when he comes back, it will be too late, and everything will burn up, and everything will be revealed. Isn't that soft, sombering? It, it wakes me up sometimes. I don't want to waste my life. I'd rather not waste my time coming to put on a collared shirt without the power of God and the gospel of God being preached. You see how it like wakes us up and goes, how am I living right now? So I'm not talking to non-Christians in here. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking about people. What's up, brothers and sisters? If Jesus showed up when I got done talking, so you got about 30 minutes to give him everything he's worth, are you excited or are you like, dang it, I shouldn't have watched so much Netflix last night, right? And I don't hate Netflix, I like a good movie with the fam just as much as anybody, but how are we spending our days because it's true, but beloved, he's going to come back. And I guarantee we're not going to be prepared, some of us, because we're flippantly giving our lives to things that Jesus died to save us from. And so what I want to do, those are the two verses, and I was like, Lord, what those verses are learning in Jeremiah, I'm going to get up there and say all this like emotional stuff about not preaching. He's like, do it. And I'm like, fine. Here's my wholehearted plea. I'm going to pray like I always do, because like I said, I have an agreement with God. I'll talk to him and invite him to take over before I talk. And we'll get into the reading plan. We'll get into Jeremiah. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old for, I'm not even that old, I'm 38. All the old people are like, you see, your knees won't work in 20 years. It's just getting too old for this, this flash in the pan. I'm getting too old for like, did God really move there? Or like, are we really going to give him our all? I, I, I really want the real thing. I want the real thing or nothing at all. And the real thing happens when a group of people come together and they go, we really have gathered in the living name of Jesus Christ. He can do anything he wants. That was the New Testament church. They didn't know what would happen when they gathered. They just knew that they were going to gather in the name of Jesus. They were going to pray. And then God was going to do whatever God was going to do. 
So I'm going to sit on the front of the stage, and I just, I'm going to ask you, if you're a, a lover of the Lord, that you would pray with me, not just make this a transition. And then ask God one question. God, what do you want me to do with my life? What am I giving my life to that if you showed up, I'd be ashamed of? Let God do some correcting work in our body, and then I will yell Jeremiah, not the man the book of the Bible. God, you are the living God. This is what I want to do. I just want to lead people to your feet and go, here they are. I thank you that your love has been revealed by the Son. I think that there's no more condemnation for those that are in Christ. I thank you that anybody in this room that says, Jesus, save me and make me new, you answer that call. So, Lord, would you come close right now? We want the real thing. We want you. Our Father, I ask for your kingdom to come. I ask for weary brothers and sisters. Oh, grab them, Jesus. Show them you're not disappointed with them. Show them that you see them. So if you would just start talking to the lover of your soul, start talking to Jesus, Christian. Forget about everybody else. I guarantee you Jesus is better than anything happening in this room. And if you're not a Christian, listen to me. All you have to do is say, Jesus, make me do, make me from a dead person spiritually to alive spiritually. Save my soul. Fill me with the love of God. That simple. Start talking to God. If you're in here and you've been giving your life to what you know you shouldn't, there's a thing we get to do. It's called repentance. I want you to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I repent. And I say, yes, you, Paul. I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll be what you want me to be. Form my inner man. Renew a right spirit within me. I thank you for these moments, Lord. We are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, the one that was dead but is now living and is living forever. I thank you, God, that you're powerful enough that in the name of Jesus, I pray anybody that needs healing would be healed right now. Ask anybody bound by anything demonic, get out and be set free in the name of Jesus. I pray anybody, God, that has any need, you said ask, seek, and knock, and that you would, if we ask, you'd answer. And if we knocked, you would answer. And if we sought, we would find. And if we seek, we will find you. So right now, God, in this quiet sanctuary, which we call the house of God, take up your dwelling here. Fill these temples, these people, with your spirit. Put your words in their mouth. Renew their minds. Show them that if they are in the hands of Jesus, nothing's taken them out. May the love of God be lavished on them. And Lord, I just pause for a second. 
And it's scary to pause and ask you to speak. But Lord, I just pause and I say, if there's anything you want to speak, would you speak? If you could just keep your heads bowed. Um, two days ago, I was laying in bed praying about today, and I felt like the Lord put a sentence through my head. And I was like, God, I don't want to talk about that. Um, when I was driving yesterday, and same same thought. And then this morning, it almost like made me pull over. I felt like the Holy Spirit. So this is this is not weird. I think this is a spiritual gift as well, but it is weird to say it out loud. Uh, I believe the Lord would say, I think there's a man in here. And I think you've been fantasizing about cheating on your wife. And he would say that he sees you. And that it's not too late to return to him. And I don't even know who that is, but I'd love to talk to you. And if I'm wrong, that's okay, I can be wrong. So God, see their, like pierce our hearts, search us, and see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of Christ. Jesus, we love you, and I ask that as we read your word, it would pierce us, it would change us according to your will, and that you would teach us, in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Yeah, I mean, got to the sermon yet. I'm already done. We should just go home. I'm really weepy today. Maybe it's because we're in Jeremiah, eh? He's been called the weepy prophet. That's fine. Um, here's what I'll say. Grab a Bible. Go to Jeremiah. Chapter 6. I'm going to go to a couple other places before we get there. If that bothers you, you can flip there too. We're in a two-year reading plan. And here's the thing. I hate reading plans some days, and I love them other days. If you hate them, you are not tied to those things as if it is a ball and chain or if God doesn't like you as much if you're not reading the reading plan. Did you hear me? You are not condemned if you can't keep up with the reading plan. Sit with thank you. Then you're thank you. <laughs> No, I just, for so many years in my early Christian life, I was trying to keep up with these guys that were reading massive amounts and I couldn't keep up. And I just felt like I was less like, why can't I get my AD brain to spend six hours with God? Because I just wasn't there yet. And that's okay. Sit with Jesus. I'd rather sit with Jesus for five minutes than really just bounce my head off a wall for seven hours not really doing anything. Does that make sense? Sit with the lover of your soul. Meet with him. Talk. Pour your heart out and be like, I want to understand this, and then return the next day. You're positioning yourself for grace, okay? And what we've been doing is just reading every day, and then the guy like me gets up, and we preach something we read that week, or we're going to read the next week. And then the book of Jeremiah, the man Jeremiah, the elder Jeremiah, started last week. And I like Jeremiah because Jeremiah is... I'm never going to say Jeremiah and me and the elder the rest of this sermon, okay? It's just going to be in the book. I like the book of Jeremiah because this man is called by God to do a thing which is hard, which he's being going to be told they're not going to listen, 
And he goes out and he pours his heart out for these people and he does what God tells him to do. The context is this. God's people are covenanted, are in a marriage-like relationship with the God of heaven and earth. He comes to them first on the mountain with Moses and says, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's gotten to a point in time in Jeremiah's day, you have Israel and Judah and all these things, but outside the temple, they are actively worshiping idols. So you are on your way to the house of God as Jeremiah, and outside the door to the temple, they are bowing down and sacrificing and doing business with idols. They are also actively abusing the poor, not treating people with honor and love, and doing the very things that God told them to do. So Jeremiah sees all this and then gets a word from the Lord. You heard all that last week from Elder Jeremiah. <laughs> but I love the context of books. I like to take a book and make it as simple as possible. And so what we do, I like videos as well. I just want you to check out this, this Bible Project video. We're only going to watch the first four minutes. But it's so you can kind of get the idea of the whole The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice, and he even predicted that the empire of Babylon would come as God's servant to bring this judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem taking the people into exile. And sadly, his words became reality. Jeremiah lived through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and witnessed the exile personally. Now, this book came into existence in a really interesting way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and commit them to writing which Jeremiah did by employing a scribe named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of this material into a scroll. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of stories about Jeremiah, and he linked all the pieces together. And so this is why the book reads like an anthology, a collection of collections. It's all been arranged to present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and grace. So the book begins with God calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, and he's given a dual vocation. He will be a prophet to Israel, but also to the nations. And his words will both uproot and tear down, but also plant and build up. In other words, he's going to accuse Israel and warn them of God's coming judgment, but he also has a message of hope for the future. Now, this opening perfectly summarizes the first large section, chapters 1 to 24. It's a collection of Jeremiah's writings from before the exile. And the core idea here is that Israel has broken the covenant with God and violated all the terms of the agreement they made that are written in the Torah. And in a number of ways, they've adopted the worship of all kinds of Canaanite gods, building idol shrines all over the land. And Jeremiah develops the metaphor of idolatry as adultery and uses the language of prostitution, promiscuity, unfaithfulness to describe how Israel has given their allegiance to other gods. Jeremiah also repeatedly accuses Israel's leaders. The priests, the kings, the other prophets have all become corrupt. They've abandoned the Torah and the covenant, which has led to a tragic result, rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable people in Israelite communities, the widows, the orphans, and immigrants, were all being taken advantage of in clear violation of the laws of the Torah. And Israel's leaders didn't even seem to care. So a classic place where all of these ideas come together is in chapter 7. It's called Jeremiah's Temple Sermon. 
The Israelites are coming to worship their God in the temple as if everything is just fine, but outside the temple they are worshiping other gods, and some were even adopting the horrifying Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. And so Jeremiah makes his very unpopular announcement. The God of Israel is coming in judgment. He's going to destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending an enemy from the north. This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem, and as you read on, you discover he's talking about the great empire of Babylon. And so this all leads up to a transition in chapter 25. Israel hasn't turned back to their God, and so in the first year of Babylon's new king, Nebuchadnezzar, God tells Jeremiah to announce that the Babylonian armies are headed for Israel and all of its neighbors to conquer them and take them into exile for 70 years. He compares Babylon to a cup of wine filled to the brim with God's just anger at all of Israel's injustice and idolatry. God will make Israel and the nations drink from this cup. Now this chapter is key to the book's design because everything that follows is going to focus on Babylon's coming attack. First on Israel in chapters 26 to 45, and then on the other nations in chapters 46 to 51. Here we go. So as we get into the, the, the beginning form of Jeremiah as a book, you have this call of God on Jeremiah's life to speak these words. You have that context. They're worshiping idols outside of the temple. They are hurting and oppressing the poor, the widows, the migrants. And so this is the role of Jeremiah. He used to step in there and go, God is going to actually chastise you. He's going to exile you. He's going to use a foreign army. They're going to destroy this whole thing and drag you off to their country. You're going to be there a long time and you're going to cry out, where's our God? But Jeremiah says, this is God's doing to prune you and then plant a future hope that there was going to be this salvation. Now, here's what I think. I think a lot of us think that being a prophet would be a lot of fun. We're like, oh boy, I want to be a prophet when I grow up. Right? That was weird. I don't know what just happened with my voice, but it did. I think we think that it'd be so awesome to meet with God on the mountain and be like, say this to the people. But when you come down and they're worshiping a golden idol and you tell them that God is displeased with them, do you realize they hate you? I think so many of us, even now, are like, I'm aspiring to be prophetic. I, some of you in this room are like, I am a prophet. Hold on there, tiger. Um, ever had this happen to you, though? Like, friends ask you what to do in a situation. So you, your guy friend calls you up, like, hey, can I come sit with you? Ask you exactly what to do in a situation. You tell them what to do. You're like, whatever you do, don't do this and do this. You know what they do? That thing. They do the opposite. And you're like, I'm going to watch this happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is the life of a prophet. I mean, what if God told you, go warn that person. Go tell them that if they keep fooling around with how they're loving me, I'm going to exile them. And you know what they do? So, who cares? If you keep going to bars every night and sleeping with random women every night, that's going to destroy your soul. I've said this to friends. So, eh, I'm not afraid. What if God told you to tell the person that they were in danger, and then he said, but they're not going to listen to you? Now, when you look at the prophets, most of them, a few of them, at least Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, are told uh, very specifically what to say, but also very specifically what will happen when they say it. 
Now in Isaiah 6, 9, that's one of the ones that didn't have you look up. We'll be in Jeremiah 6, 17 here in just a second. But in Isaiah 6, this is to Isaiah, one of the other uh, major prophets. This is the Lord, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So God comes to Isaiah, everyone knows Isaiah, and he says, I want you to go say these things, but they're not going to see it, they're not going to perceive it, they're not going to listen, they're not going to recognize. Now Jeremiah 6, 17, very similar. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. I put tone on that, I don't know why. But it's, I feel like there's a lot of sass in that. That's like a teenager, right? Listen, I will not listen. That's, this is the Israelites. God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound an alarm. You're in danger. You're going to get exiled. Stop fooling around with idols and start treating people like my character. And they go, what? We can't hear anything. You ever had a kid mouth off to your mom or dad? Did it not sound a lot like that? You didn't tell me to clean my room. Oh, I sure did. Right? This is God with his people. And we're just teenagers, apparently. Jeremiah 7, go there, verse 27. So I can just keep going through the prophets, and a number of them are going to be told, you're going to go to the people, and you're going to beg them, and Jeremiah is going to weep over them, and please don't go that way. And they're going to go, we don't care. Jeremiah 7, verse 27. So you shall speak all these words to them. But they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Anybody still want to be a prophet? Anybody still want a mission from God? Because a lot of times, that's what they look like. Go and tell, but they're not going to listen. Go and tell them, but they are going to hate you. Go and tell, but they will attack you. And Jeremiah will be attacked. He will put you put in prison, actually. Go and tell, but they will tell you even that you are even from God, and the things that you, you are saying are wrong and ungodly. Now, all these, these statements lead me to, to a point where I've started to realize that following God does not mean ease. You can write that down, all right? Because I think it's a common lie of our culture and a common lie that Satan uses to demolish what God wants to do in your life. Because we assume, if God is with me, it'll be easy. I'll be enjoying it. I'll be wealthy, healthy, happy. And that is a lie. Some of the things that God has called me to are weep. Uh, actually put myself in a place to be ashamed. To be weak in front of you all, cry a lot more than I've ever in my life. To be really just broken down to where I'm just the vessel. So following God does not mean ease. Half the things that God has ever called me to in my life came with great suffering and hardship, but there was joy and life and glory to him in the middle of all. If you read the New Testament at all, they are thrown in prison. Um, literally belittled, the reason they got the name Christian in the first place was not because they were like, oh, they looked like, it was, it was a diss. You little Jesuses. It was like, they were trying to stab them. And then they took it and they were like, 
Christians. <laughs> That's the nature of that name. And all the New Testament Christians were kind of reviled by culture because they weren't understood. And so following God, I think what the enemy comes in is go, if God was with you, your business would succeed. If God told you this, you'd have a bigger church. That's the world I live in. If God was with you, raising these kids would be a lot easier. You see how the enemy is such a liar? Yeah. I think one of the, I'll go parents, one of the hardest things God has called, if you're a parent in the room, you know what God called you to do? Raise your kids to love the Lord. You know what is a gut-wrenching activity? Raising your kids to love the Lord more than the things of the earth. It's gut-wrenching. And half the time, if we're honest, if we got in a room and we were actually honest, not fake Christian nights, we'd be like, I suck at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. Half the time, I feel like they're running after idols, and I'm begging them, pleading them. I'm, I'm crying out at night. Is that parenting summed up in the Christian world? And then outside of that, let's go outside of parenting. It's like God's called us to stand in the middle of a culture that's starting to hate us a lot more. And it's going to get harder to stand. It's going to get harder to be like, I belong to Jesus unashamedly. Because you, you're going to get canceled. You're going to get called bigot. You're going to get called a lot of names. I've been called all of them. Wear them with a badge. Not arrogantly. But if God's called us to be some things, and that's what he calls the prophets to be, he calls the prophets to be announcers. Announce what God's going to do, is doing, or will, will do. That's what, they announce things. Uh, they preserve things in a corrupt society. So he, they, he kind of prophets pull culture back and go, hey, maybe you shouldn't sacrifice that kid, the Moloch. <laughs> right? That's preserving culture, morals, honoring God. And they are also what I would call the aroma, the smell, the, the, the tangible itness in a place of another kingdom. They remind the people everything here will go away, everything there will not. And the guy up there is not pleased with what's going on down here. All of these descriptors, if descriptors, so the aroma of a kingdom, announcers of God's thoughts and heart, preservers, you know what that also fits? The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ in the New Covenant. All of them. Yeah. So if I was to ask you, uh, what are God's people supposed to be? Yell some things at me. What are we supposed to be? Think like souls. Ambassadors. Life. Anything else? Loving, kind, kind generous, generous, hospitable. She ain't scared. I like that. Humble, giving, giving generous. Forgiving. What? Forgiving, yes. Non-judgmental. Ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ, sons and daughters of God, the aroma of God on earth. So you look at what prophets are. They are preservers, announcers, the aroma of a kingdom that's not present but is really more real than this one. And then you look at the New Testament church and what we're supposed to be, and we're really not that different. So now the Spirit of God doesn't dwell on one prophet. The Spirit of God dwells in the people of God. Amen. 
And he does the exact same things in culture and in the earth through the people of God, the church, that he was doing through prophets. He announces his plans. He announces the gospel. He announces the word of God. He announces what's good. He then preserves or pulls back and goes, we should not be aborting babies. Like this is the thing that God does through his people. So let me read some of these verses that I believe are, are I think, are a direct comparison. So if Jeremiah's role on the earth was to call his people back and be like, here's what God's about, here's what God is doing, here's what God thinks, and then also preserve and pull them back from really idolatry and abusing the poor, how much more should we as we're in the New Testament? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. We'll go all New Testament from here on out. I'll be 2 Corinthians 2, then we're going to be in John 15 if you want to start finding those in your Bible. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. So we are the aroma of Christ. What smells? And it's not a, I, I probably do right now, but when you walk in a room, or I'll go a different way. Uh, we just got a phone call, me and Anna, from a friend um, in our family who said, hey, this, these people, they, they stopped inviting us over. Like, they just don't want us around. I'm like, well, when you're around, like, what do you talk about? They're like, Jesus. And I'm like, I can tell you why they stopped inviting you around. Because you are the aroma. And so I, I, early on in my Christian life, I just stopped got, getting invited to parties. Like, all of a sudden, I was very alone. And not because I don't think it's because I was abrasive, but because when I was in the room, getting drunk just wasn't as fun. When I was in the room, I wasn't cussing. I, I was actually on vacation two weeks ago, just sitting somewhere, and a guy, like, I, at a, I was at a bar. I was not drinking. Chill. <laughs> I like fried food. They have that at a bar. So, and the guy cussed, and I didn't join in, and I wasn't drinking. And he said, something wrong with you? I said, no. No, sir. I got these hush puppies. I'm having a great day. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was shocking to him. That where I was, I was not doing the very things that I was supposed to was not. I was not joining them in their excess. And so to be the aroma of Christ is not always this act of you walk into a room at your, at your business and you have a Christian flag and go, Jesus is here. That's not, I don't think that's the aroma of Christ. I think you don't join them in, in the things of the earth. And it's shocking. It's an aroma. It's smell. It's, it's tangible. Then in John 15, verse 18. There's a promise from, from Jesus that I think that I think the prophets understood. And I think we need to come back into understanding. John 15, 18. Now John 15 is all about abiding. And usually that's the only reason we talk about it. But at the end of that whole talk about abiding, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, 
a servant is not greater than his master. So we have Jesus telling his disciples, there's some things that are about to happen to you. And he's making the point that as our master, Jesus is our master, we follow him, right? And what did the world do to Jesus? Scorned him, hated him, crucified him, killed him, really didn't pay attention to him most of the time. And so he goes, now you can't follow me and not expect the same thing. The problem is that suddenly what's leaked into Christianity about the last hundred years is a very heavy, 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 heavy emphasis on a relational evangelism kind of type of thing, which is at whatever cost, they must like you. At whatever cost, we got to look, we got to look like Jesus, but not so much that the world's like, what does the word hate mean? If they hated me, this is Jesus talking, they're going to hate you. Not even like, not even like they might hate you. Not even like it could come about that if you do it the wrong way. It's like they're not going to like you. They're going to dislike you. They're going to hate is a strong word, is it not? They're going to hate you. Like I hate cheesecake. They're going to hate you. And, and a servant, we're not greater than Jesus. And Jesus was hated by the world, misunderstood by the world. Not everybody liked him. In fact, when he went to his hometown, he couldn't even do miracles. They didn't even trust him or believe him. And we're walking around going like, please like me. I'll water down my faith. I won't talk about Jesus. I won't even offer to pray for you if you're sick. I won't make it weird. I won't even ask to pray for my meal. I'll, I'll, I'll suppress the aroma of God. And I'll suppress the revelation of the word of the Lord. And I'll suppress everything that God wants me to be in your life if you'll like me. If you'll just like me. Now, here's the thing. I, I like to be liked. I like to walk in a room and not have people look the other way. I like to be invited to parties. I like very much more for God to be like, I like you. I want you. I'm pleased with you. Everything you're doing, I, it'll be worth it. And I think some of us need to hear that. And we need to understand the calling on our life is very similar I think to the prophets, and I'm not calling you prophets, it's very in the same vein. To stand up and announce the things of God, in the long run, that kingdom will be around a lot longer than this one. In the long run, the thing my friends needed when I was in high school was me to look them in the face and go, those things won't satisfy your soul, only Jesus will. And I'm still praying that the seeds that I planted then, or maybe, I'll get a, maybe I'll go to that, I don't want to go to my 20-year reunion, but maybe I will. And they'll say, those things you said to me. Would you tell me more about this, Jesus? Because now I've given my life to all those things you said wouldn't fulfill, but I need my soul's dry. You see how this like We have to stand up at some point and be what God called us to be. Now, that the illustration that most often gets thrown around a lot when we talk about what are God's people supposed to be, what are the prophets in the earth? I think prophets were salt and light, and I think we, if you don't know your Bible, are called to be salt and light. I've never understood that most of my Christian life. So let me read it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 5, go to verse 13 to 16, and that's where we're going to end today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is actually part of the Sermon on the Mount. I think there's a warning in this, and then I think there's a call. You, talking to 
God's people, are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, your version might say and add on to that, it's not any good for anything other than to be thrown into the dung pile. Now, there's some great illustrations out there. Type in Francis Chan. I think that's originally. I was at a youth camp when I first saw this illustration, uh, but I forgot my salt, so I get it. I got my salt. Okay, I got two cups of salt. Now, if we, you and I, are the salt of the earth, you, everybody knows what salt does, right? You're not supposed to eat it anymore, old men, because you're a bunch of roll, but eat it. So if I take, this is real flavorful salt, and I, you know, it's salty. Yeah, this. So this is the real stuff, right? There's just a little bit of really good salty stuff. And I put this in your mouth, you're going to taste something, right? And so the whole point of this idea is that when we put salt on food, it flavors it. You also put salt on a culture. It preserves it, meats and things like that. And I think that that idea has been driven into us from a young age. Uh, so there's the real stuff, okay? I can't tilt it or it'll. There it is. Okay. That's the real stuff. Sorry, Dave, you're not back. Now, let's say we have a whole bunch of Christians. I mean, and I mean a whole bunch of Christians. There's, they look like salt, but there's no flavor in them. There's no, there's, no, there's no preserving factor in them. There's no taste of God in them. There's no aroma of God in them. In fact, they've actually decided we're not going to be salty. We're not going to be offensive to the world, so we're going to lose the very characteristic of God in our culture. And then you take, I'm going to call you all real salt. I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> then you pour just a whole bunch of really unsalty salt on top of that. Where's the real stuff? Find it. It'd be really hard, right? And one of the greatest like, analogies I heard was like, the only reason you would care about, I mean, really, you'd be like, this is just a pile of unsalty salt. You'd be like, no, I promise, there's like three good kernels in there. Really, the only thing this would be useful for if this was truly just a huge pile of is to throw it into the crap pile. That would probably ruin the crap pile. So as we look at our role, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, but if we stop actually being the flavor of God to our friends and the, the aroma of Christ to the earth and announcing what God wants us to announce, the only thing, I'm just going to throw this, but I'm not going to throw it. Just picture like I went like this, because that would have been very dramatic. I'm not going to do it. That would be the only thing it would be good for. Throw it away. It won't do what it's intended to do. And so similarly, he goes on, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you have these two analogies, and we can keep going. Salt, light, they both affect things, right? If I turned all the lights off in this room, and I just took my cell phone and turned on its light, you'd be able to find out where I was, right? And I wouldn't have to do a whole bunch. I wouldn't even have to shine it. I'd just point it up straight up in the air. You'd be like, something's glowing over there. 
So when I think about these two ideas, I think there's a couple ways to live them out. I think there's a passive and an active, and I think there's a negative and a positive, all right? So when I say passive, I mean if you are sitting with Jesus every morning, you will get the smell of heaven on you. And you will not be satisfied or be able to stand in some rooms where people are doing things that don't fit that kingdom. And people will notice. You won't have to say anything. You won't have to do this. Me and Anna took our kids to see Jungle Cruise last night. And I'm, whatever, it's PG-13. Okay, I'm sorry. But I was outside the Brookville Theater. And an old woman, literally, I'm standing there with my kids. Her nose, I can't get my nose that high, went to her forehead. Are you taking your kids to that movie? I went, I don't know. Am, am I a bad father if I do? And, that, and then she's like, oh, no. Anyway, it was just a whole thing. You don't have to turn your nose up. You don't have to point a finger. You just have to be close to God and not join the earth. And just know what he likes and know what he doesn't dislike. It's a passive thing. There's also a very active part of being salt and light. And I think what we need to get good at, better at, I would say, is listening to the Lord for his nudges of when to open our mouths, of when to speak. So I've been with friends, and I've done the relational ministry, and I'm still probably going to do it, but there's these moments where I'm doing relational evangelism, and they're telling me about problems with their marriage, or they're telling me, because that's what we are, that's what friends do, they talk, right? And I feel the Lord go, tell them, tell them. And you know it's a scary moment when the God starts saying safe things to people. And there's these moments where I've chickened out. So if you chicken out, grace to you, it's okay. Jesus isn't done with you. He's just refining you. But there's these moments where it's an active thing. Hey, do you, you know what actually might work better, Johnny, if you don't call her a nasty name before you ask her to help you with the garbage? Just a thought. You know what I mean? It's, you're like, that's simple. No, I mean, sometimes it's simple things like, hey, you're not going to be able to love her the way that you're supposed to without the help of God. It's sometimes it's, hey, my dad just got a cancer diagnosis, and he's in the hospital. I'm so worried, but he's not a Christian. Hey, I'll pray for him because I know a God. Like, it's these little things. It's not, don't always think, but it's active. You're going to have to open your mouth. You actually, actually have to say to your brother or your sister or your friend or your coworker, you actually have to tell them something that God has given to you that you've announced to them. So there's a very passive part of this, I think. By who you are, your very nature has changed in Jesus. There's also active. And then I think there's a negative and a positive. And whenever I talk about salt or I talk about being light, I think we always think negative and abrasive. We always think like Johnny's smoking in a break room and you're just, you, you picture like, if I'm going to be salt, i got to smack that cigarette out of his hand and yell, sinner. <laughs> Stop it, sinner! Let me save you! Like, that's, that's a very negative view of what it means to be salt and light. You know what a much better view, or I would say a positive view of being salt and light is? Can I tell you a better way? Can I show you something? Like, it's not, I have to be the moral police. Put the drink down, sir. God commands it. It's more like, I'm more free than I have ever been in my life. I am not tied to alcohol, drugs, or women anymore. I'm tied to God who I was made for. It's the best. You live like that. 
People notice. Our world's not satisfied by the world, the things that telling you it is. Believe it or not, 17 hours of TikTok in a teenager's life doesn't satisfy their soul. They know it. They know it. They know it. And so when you give them somebody that goes, I am satisfied, and I mean soul level satisfied by the things of God, the earth we live in goes, it's almost like, like flies to the light at night on the back porch. Same principle. They are drawn to a soul that goes, this doesn't rule me. I'm ruled by God. And his love so filled me. Get over here, cigarette smoker. I love you, Earl. Like that is compelling to the world we live in. So don't just think this is standing on a street corner yelling at girls on Miami's campus. That is not what I'm promoting. What I'm promoting is if you've stepped back from your call to be the very fragrance of God in your earth and on the earth, you are missing your calling from God. Your mandate from heaven is to be the aroma of Christ, of God, on earth. To announce the things of God. To act like a prophet. And they will hate you. Not because that's the goal. My goal is never to walk into a conversation with somebody and be like, I can't wait till they hate me at the end of this. That's not the goal. That was the promise, though. The promise is they're going to hate you. If you act like me, Jesus says. If you love like me, Jesus says. If you pray like me, Jesus says. If you walk like me on the earth, they'll hate you. And what I see right now, and I won't even get to in the American church, in America, they love us. Well, they're starting to hate us. For the most part, though, they're pretty uncomfortable with us. They, they, don't, they don't care what we're doing. And I, I want to wake us up that in your life, so if this is this is the shift to what do we do now? I should stop talking. Thank you. In your life, what aroma are you putting off? Like, if I was to hang out with you, what do you smell like? That's not a question I actually want answered at the end of this sermon. Because I just have friends that are going to be like... I'm like, I don't want that. When you're in a room with people playing euchre, what are their hearts drawn to? When you're in a room with your wife and kids, what are their hearts drawn to? When Jesus walks in a room, everything changes. And last I checked, the biblical promises everywhere you go, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So everywhere you go, what changes? And is it drawn into the earth or is it drawn into heaven? Is it drawn into the aroma of God? So with your life, what's the flavor that you give others? Like, are you salty? Like, do you give flavor to Christians? Do you give flavor to the people around you? Are you giving off things that would make them go, that didn't taste like the earth. That guy, that woman, they're connected to something different. Or have you let yourself get real? You're, you look like salt. You're, you're doing the part right. You're in church. You're in that spot. But have you lost your saltiness? And then light. When people recognize, if they looked at you, if they watched you, the light of Christ in you, would they go, there's not darkness in that person. There's light. So here's my call for you guys as the, as the band comes up. We're just going to respond to the word of God. And I started where I started today. I think the Lord led me there because there's not condemnation for you. And if you've just been messing around, Christian, and you're like, I'm very unsalty salt. I look the right way. I say the right words. There's no power. There's no holiness. There's no aroma. There's no salt. 
And I know it says, well, the only thing it's good for is throwing it out. But I, I actually liken today a lot to the rich young man that walks away dejected. He asks him, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to this rich young man, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the Bible says that he walks away really dejected and sad because he had great wealth. And then his disciples ask him, well, who can be saved then? And, God, and Jesus says, what's impossible for man is possible for God. So if salt can't be made, you can't make unsalty salt salty. You can't just make gravel salty. God can take an unsalty Christian and make them the salt of the earth. Transform a heart and a soul, renew a right spirit in you, make you something you are not. And the only challenge then is what I, I think Hebrews 3.15 says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And this is talking about Moses. Same principle, though. When you hear the call of God, don't live that way, do something about it. When you recognize that I'm not very salty, I have not put any light out, I've actually been a coward, I look way too much like the earth, you recognize it and go, God, heal my heart, make me like you. And so everything from the moment I pray here in a second to the rest of the day is just response to God in doing what he wants us to do. So as I pray and I say amen, we're going to sing a song, and we're not going to say goodbye after that. And I know that freaks some people out. Um, that's something we do to give God. This is God's room. So if you stay here, do business with God. And prayer counselors are going to come up, and we're going to respond. And some of us are going to need to come up, I think, and kneel and go, God, I repent. Some of us are going to need to come to a prayer counselor and say, I confess with my mouth what I've been giving my life to, and I give my life wholeheartedly again to Jesus. Some of you, you, you just need to sit there and worship God. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you again for the honor it is to preach. After all this frantic talking, God, just slow. And once again, here we are, the people of God, saved by grace through faith. And we put our faith in the name of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And I sit us as a body, as a church at your feet. King Jesus, rule this room. I thank you that it was the love of God. It was your love or the led you to send your son. I thank you that there is not, you're not trying to condemn us, you're trying to save us. So would you save in this room? Save us from a life given to things that look just like the earth. Save us, God, from pride. Save us from foolishness. Save us from ourselves. And in these next few minutes, as we worship you, pray that you would set your sons and daughters free to worship you in spirit and in truth, in true freedom. And as we walk out of here today, God, Holy Spirit, fill us with boldness to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I thank you that we get to walk and act not like a prophet, to announce your goodness, to share your love, 
And I thank you that that's not a heavy-handed taskmaster whipping at my back. That's a joy. I get to walk and do that with you the rest of my life. So would you teach us, your kids, how to do that? Even now, would you show us a person in our head who you want us to tell you about? Tell them about you. So churches, we start to sing. I just want to sit you there at the Lord's feet. Ask him what he wants you to do. And if it's like, get on your face before me and repent, or maybe it's stand and worship me with little care of what's going on in the room, or pray for that person. Just listen to God, following him is best. And in a couple moments, the band will start singing. And as I said, those prayer teams will be up. I love you, Jesus loves you. Let's respond to the Lord.